Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. And our topic today is a part two, a Roadmap for Transformational Supervision. Again, Roadmap for Transformational Supervision, part two. And so today I want to briefly review what I touched on last week, and then I want to dive into this next level uh, around supervision, giving a more complex, a more nuanced, a, a higher level roadmap here for transformational supervision. Now, again, the operational word is transformational, not simply for the person you're supervising, but for you and for everyone that you're serving uh, here in the name of Jesus. So I'm going to use case studies today. I want to thank uh, so many of you for sending in case studies uh, this past week, and I plan to work with seven of them here uh, during our time together. And I'd wanted to touch on a variety of themes like hiring and firing, uh, power and boundaries, dual relationships, hierarchy and genogram, differentiation. And it's interesting, you can teach in these things, but it's so much better to get at it through the case studies. And it's so wonderful because all these issues came out in the different case studies, as you will see. So let's take a few moments here. and Let me review uh, what I touched on last week in part one. Uh, and again, if you didn't listen to part one, you'll want to go back and listen to that uh, as you listen to part two today. So uh, again, that, uh, the thesis I made last week was that those you oversee are not simply a means to get the work done. They actually are the work to which God's called you to. And uh, work performance and spiritual formation uh, can't be separated. Uh, in fact, the way you supervise people is critical for culture formation uh, in the ministry you're building. It's a very challenging. Uh, it is among the top two or three most difficult parts of being a leader. I don't care if the person's a volunteer or paid. It just gets a little more complicated as they are paid, but they're both challenging. So last week I broke it down um, into three, the supervision into three segments, uh, pre-meeting, before you meet with the person, the meeting itself, and then after the meeting, post-meeting. So in the pre-meeting we talked about, you want to pray, you want to bring that person before God before you meet with them, uh, listening to what God might want to say to you about the meeting, and then you want to put some thought into it. Uh, what do they need for their own formation, growth uh, in their ministry? Uh, and then you want to think about, you want to get a written report from them if possible. Uh, I just recommend something simple, a half-page report. Uh, and uh, around what we call the five Ps, uh, to ask them in advance. First P is personal formation. You know, what are they doing to nurture their walk with Jesus, uh, reading, etc. Number two is what are their priorities for the week? Uh, again, I like to break it into quadrant two uh, priorities, uh, things that are important but not urgent. Uh, thirdly, what are some puzzles that they're carrying? Fourthly, who are the people they're investing in? Because uh, we want everyone to be investing in other people, uh, you know, making disciples who make disciples. And then lastly, praise. Uh, what are some areas you want to just praise God for and celebrate? All right, so you get that in advance. And then you want to, number the second segment of this supervision is you actually meet with them. And in that meeting, uh, of course, you'll respond to the written report as, as appropriate, but there's four questions you want to make sure you touch on. Uh, the first is, how, how are your rhythms? And how is your time with Jesus going? Uh, then the second is, how's your marriage uh, or, is, or your singleness going? Because they lead out of that marriage or singleness. And thirdly, then what are your top one to three priorities or goals and the challenges that you're facing? Uh, and then finally, you want to ask them about what's their next step for their own development and growth. Uh, personally and in their area of ministry. So there's plenty to talk about there in a, in a meeting. Uh, 
as again, you're listening to God for that. And then finally, there's a post-meeting segment of supervision. And that is, you want to pray for them after that meeting's over. Uh, have some space for that. Listening to God for anything additional he wants to give you about the about them, the person. And then maybe any action items. You want to list them. Uh, any follow-up items or key points that emerged. And you want to take time to ponder, you know, are there any other ways that you can serve this person? Uh, what further development might they need or I need to improve my own supervision of them? And, and again, so often my best thoughts and ideas come after the actual meeting itself. And all right, so that's a little uh, outline from last week. But let's dive in now to part two of, of really building on this now. Uh, in transformational supervision. So I'm going to use case studies now. And let me just remind you as I start here, I, uh, I am limited. Uh, I'm one voice, hopefully, of many that you're listening to as you discern what to do in your particular supervision case. Uh, I don't have all the details of uh, these case studies. Um, I know a couple of the people. Uh, I don't know others. And I've only got so much here on a paper that I'm responding to. So, all right, let's take it one at a time. I've got seven here. Uh, the first is... Uh, from a church 35 years old, um, and uh, the lead pastor uh, sent this in and gives me a bit of a history of the church because it is significant. Um, but he's got a situation where a senior staff member uh, who struggles with time management management basically shows up 10 minutes late to every meeting. Uh, the lead pastor has confronted them on the issue, but the problem basically remains. They do actually a pretty good job in their job. They do very good in their job. Uh, and the senior pastor knows it's a problem, uh, but does not quite know, where do I go from here? You sure don't let a person go for showing up 10 minutes late to a meeting. But they're struggling on how do I confront this uh, as a discipleship issue or whatever. And then he gave a bit of history of the church in terms of uh, you know, a large you know, CEO-driven kind of church, but very conflict-avoidant. Uh, and uh, as a history. And so now this person is the lead pastor over the team, the pastoral team. And here they are. So, you know, what do you do? So here's a few thoughts. The question I have is, is, uh, is why? And I would ask the question why. And I'm, I'm going to throw out a lot of things here because there could be a lot going on here with this person who shows up 10 minutes late. So I, I think asking the question very honestly to them, why why do you think you're late uh, 10 minutes every week? Uh, and are you late in other areas of your life? I'd be curious, are they late for airplanes that they have to catch at the airport? Are they late for church on Sundays? Are they late for meetings they lead? Are they late for dinner with their spouse? I'd be curious what their spouse would say if they were in the room. What do they think their spouse would say? Because, you know, what's is it about power and control? Is it only here that they're late? Um, and it'd be interesting if you started, the, let's say the meeting starts at one o'clock. And you say to them, let's start the meeting at one ten which is when you show up. Now, I'd be curious, would they come then at 1.20? Uh, it would be very interesting to see. It'd be interesting to talk about it as a team. Let's assume there's four people in the room um, because everyone has to wait the 10 minutes or at least everyone's impacted by their being late. And, and then I guess the, another level of questions or, or for you to think about is uh, what's going on here perhaps from their family of origin or... Because our history plays out at the next level, and we project our history into our current behavior. Uh, very often, people are looking to create situations which will replay their family of origin stuff, and then they'll blame you for it. And 
And because uh, in some ways you're, you're being drawn into a parent-child dy- dynamic here. I mean, this person, they, they work for you, but it's a bit childish to repeatedly come late. It's almost like I'm, I'm making a statement here. You're not in control or I've got power here. You're not going to dominate me. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but there, there are sometimes some people want to get fired. Uh, you know, they may want you to fire them. And this may be a moment of growing up for them. In other words, it's it's rightly been said. I had a mentor many years ago who said to me, uh, everyone fires themselves, or for the most part, they fire themselves because they're making a series of choices to get fired. So if if I say to someone, do A, B, and C, uh, and what they do is they do D, E, and F, or they don't, or maybe they do one of the A, B, Cs. Um, and so I slowly erode your confidence, and over six months. You fire me, and then I say, look what you did to my life. And in other words, we organize situations and 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 we recreate often our family of origin stuff that went on because we're comfortable with that. So I, I was uh, constantly rejected growing up. I'm going to get you to reject me. I'm going to I'm going to work at this situation to get rejected. But we want to we want to again. We're doing formation with people. We want to stop people from firing themselves. Some people. And uh, anyway, we're getting into some deep waters here. But hierarchy, and I'm going to mention hierarchy in, more, in the other case studies, a couple of others as well, it's a very significant issue. How I relate to not simply people below me, whom I'm leading, but how do I relate to people next to me? And how, how do I relate to people above me in authority? Because the workplace is really is a place where it's getting recreated, um, our family of origin authorities. You know, how I related to my... Uh, uh, my father, for example, or my mother, my authority figures as a kid growing up, uh, stuff that's unresolved there will very often get played out in the workplace. Again, maybe not right away, but eventually over time. What I'm saying is that the workplace pulls out deep stuff. Now, listen, you're the leader. So we're back to differentiation here. In other words, do you start church on time? Do, do groups, small groups start on time? Do, do wor- does worship rehearsal start on time? Does children's ministry start on time? Uh, you know, how do you want to create a culture in terms of how do, how do people get respected? Now, every culture is different. There are cultures and uh, where people, uh, where cultures where church starts late. Um, and it's, it's cultural expectation. Now, and I've seen that in places like Latin America. Uh, and again, we don't want to impose culture, but the question is, you are the leader and, and you get to choose the culture here. And uh, and the question is, who is leading the team? Um, now, this is, you could say, this is a very small matter. Pete, you're getting carried away. They're just showing up 10 minutes late. Uh, well, it's small, but it's possibly very big too. Uh, I, I would, you know, and I would think about bringing in a board member or a trained, someone who's quite mature. Uh, maybe to to join you in this venture with this uh, staff person because there's a lot here potentially to explore. All this over 10 minutes late for meetings. Um, okay, the second uh, case study, and actually second and third are somewhat closely related. Um, uh, this person, uh, well, I think it's Jason. Jason, I can say his name here. It's fine. Uh, Jason is part of a large uh, church planting movement, movement of churches. And so they are uh, regularly hiring and supervising pastors who are innovative, 
etc., to lead uh, in this movement, lead churches. And but his challenging supervision problem and situation is they have a set of values, uh, common values, and their challenge is they're looking for people who who they make they have values that that contradict themselves, as he puts it, appear to contradict themselves. They appear opposed to each other. Like for example, they value health very highly. Things like a rule of life and Sabbath and getting counseling when you need it. At the same time, they they value kingdom multiplication, which means uh, you know you're an innovative leader. You're 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 a, you're a groundbreaker at the same time. So so people resonate with certain values, but not all their values as a movement, and uh, they keep running into that problem. So uh, the question is, what, what do I you know what do I do? Questions are holding is. Um, is it unrealistic to expect people to have all the values? Uh, is that realistic? And uh, maybe there's certain limits that we have to face and uh, acknowledge. And are we going too fast in the speed of hiring? So the answer, Jason, is yes, you are going too fast. <laughs> okay. So because, yeah, you have a set of values. I don't know all your values, but yeah, of course, some of them appear opposed to each other. But what makes your movement who you are, your charism, your unique grace as a movement is you hold all these values together and it's and it's not, they're not in contradiction. They actually all hold together if you really grasp them and understand them. And so, yeah, people are joining your movement because it's exciting. You're multiplying churches uh, in ministries, great place to work, uh, but they may not embrace all, all the values. They may just embrace some of them. And so when they're only embracing some of them, that is an indication for you they are not ready to lead uh, a church in that movement or be in leadership because uh, they don't yet quite get the values. And so, yeah, the limits are it takes time to uh, get all your values. I'm talking about not just get them intellectually, but get them actually inside of their being because you're expecting these people to actually be reproducing churches that hopefully reproduce churches. So the speed at which you are going, I mean, it, you're not going to go faster than Jesus, all right? So it's going to be it's going to be slow. Uh, he was slow with the twelve, and and uh, but it will pick up speed speed over time. That's the great principle of the mustard seed. Uh, but you've got to courageously face the fact of to form people into your unique values of your movement, which I know has a history, um, and these values can coexist. I the, the, there are many paradoxes and tensions within uh, Jesus' kingdom. Everything from crucifixion, we believe in the crucifixion and the resurrection. They, they, you can't separate these two things. The crucified, risen Jesus. Uh, we are we lead, but we're servant leaders. I mean, there's so much. We go uh, forward by, in a sense, failing. You know, I mean, so, there's so many things. We're, we're exalted by humbling ourselves. I mean, the whole kingdom is about, is about these tensions that we hold together. So uh, I, I would just encourage you to hold on to your values strongly uh, and probably lengthen your formational time before you fully release them and being very honest about where areas they need to grow in and acknowledging that some people may just want to be a want some gifts from your movement but are not going to be able to represent your movement themselves they're going to come in learn and they're going to move on but you're talking about people that are actually become part of your movement take leadership and help build this thing long term of multiplying churches that multiply those are unique people so uh, you want to be very prayerful, very thoughtful, uh, and very careful in your process. Uh, but I would hold on to your values stronger than ever, and God will bring you the laborers you need along the way. Now, the next one 
and you want to, I'm sorry, and you want to make sure that you're training them very intentionally to get there. Uh, and the training to get there is not just a class. Uh, it is much more than that. It is along the way, like Jesus and the 12. Now, the next case study, uh, which I'll just, it's anonymous, and we'll call it from Harry. I don't need to go into it. It's very quite long, but uh, basically, if I, let me just try to summarize it in broad strokes, uh, and that this person was in a, um, uh, a multi-site situation. They were on staff at one of the sites, uh, and they weren't the leader, but they were the, the number two person. Uh, it was a site that had been planted. It grew very, very quickly, uh, but this person kept running into, this person kept, uh, I'll call it, uh, offending, uh, was condescending, rude and mean, for those who were volunteering under uh, his ministry. And so the campus pastor worked with them on it. They responded, but then they kind of fell back into the same behavior uh, later again. Uh, and the person who, uh, the number two person in this campus plant uh, felt they were being treated unfairly, etc. cetera. And, uh, you know, quite interesting how um, uh, the person changed, but then after three or four months would kind of revert back to it. Uh, they had a, the number, the campus pastor and this number two person had a meeting, uh, went very badly. The number two person yelled at them. Uh, and again, back and forth, back and forth until finally uh, they let the person go, the number two person. And uh, it's been a very messy, messy situation. Uh, and so the question that this person's having is, you know, what do, where do we go wrong uh, in this? And what are some lessons we can learn from this? Uh and so I would say this, and again, there's a lot of details here in this case study. It sounds like you have done uh, everything well in terms of the process of letting this person go uh, and your multi-level process, giving them opportunities, being clear, et cetera, bringing in multiple people along the way. And I, I can appreciate the pain that it's been for you, how difficult it's been for you. Um, but I think where where the lessons are, the real lesson learning here is uh, how this person got into such a significant level of leadership uh, when they were highly reactive and easily triggered, uh, and uh, again very self very unaware. Uh, and I know you're you're a little bit about your church. It sounds like it's quite large, multiplying campuses, and uh, the mistake is having let a person who may be gifted but immature into a significant level of leadership. Now, when you plant a new church or a new campus uh, and things are, it's small, but it may be, and this one was growing quite quickly, those, that, that initial couple of hires or people on, on, a, on, a, on the senior leadership team volunteer or paid in a, in a plant situation, a quickly growing situation, they have enormous amount of power. Uh, and this, you only have two people on staff here uh, and, uh, it was growing quickly. So I think that was the mistake was releasing a person to authority uh, without the character. And if you remember, there's an illustration in the book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader of a Skyscraper. And uh, this really came out of my 26 years of being lead pastor at New Life Fellowship. And that is this, when a person enters leadership, there is a, uh, a, a, there's a weight that gets on their inner life that comes with being in the position of leadership. That, in other words, stuff in their inner life will not come out until the pressure of leadership is put on it. Uh, and so and I, there's four issues. Facing their shadows come, is coming out on a new level. 
their marriage or singleness is coming out on a new level. Their their relationship of loving union with Jesus is coming out on a new level, and then their their rhythms of Sabbath and uh, and work. Knows a lot of deep stuff is being touched, and it's going to inform the way they lead. If they were not in senior leadership or any kind of leadership, it wouldn't be as significant. They wouldn't be as evident. Um, and I, again, I just think of Jesus and the twelve, and how slow he went with those twelve. They're pl- clearly the twelve disciples were very gifted people to have done what they did once the church launched, you know, after Pentecost. But there was inner life shifts that needed to happen in them, and that took three slow, painstaking uh, years. So my outside perspective is the great lesson to learn here is the slow process to release somebody into a major position of leadership. Because as your case study points out, the amount of time and energy and pain that's been involved in getting this one person out of leadership has been so great, and hopefully it's over. You don't, I know you don't know it's fully over, but hopefully it's over, uh, is a great lesson there that you do not want to forget is kind of that principle in 1 Timothy 3, you don't lay hands quickly on anyone, deacons, until they've been tested. It's the principle. Uh, you want to be very careful of laying hands on people and giving them authority under your board and under the rest of your leadership uh, as they represent you, as they are leading other people. So it's a great lesson. I learned it the hard way. Um, boy, it's a hard lesson to learn. All right, let's go to the next next case study. And um, uh, and this one's interesting because uh, it's uh, from a from Michelle, and uh, and it's interesting because she's writing from the perspective of being supervised, a supervise e. And uh, so what's interesting, they, 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 they're involved in a church network, uh, a women's branch of this network, and her and her boss were very, very close friends uh, before she started working for her boss. And uh, so you understand the, the relationship was they were really close friends, very, very close friends, quote, and then one of them became the boss of Michelle. And so now the roles changed. And so what happened was the uh, her supervisor decided uh, in last February to set boundaries in their relationship uh, and basically said, we can't be friends anymore. Uh, and so Michelle's hurt. And right, so I don't understand why we can't set up healthy boundaries and work at work and be friends when we're not at work. But she feels like she can't do that. So... Wow, it's a fantastic case study, uh, Michelle. So let me throw out a, a, a few things. First of all, uh, we're talking about dual relationships. Now, this is highly complex, uh, and it requires a very high level of emotional maturity. Let me say high, high level of differentiation to be able to do this, because it's around power, how power is, is, is works. And uh so let me just make mention about when you're on a, the complexity of a ministry or staff uh, and relationships. So, for example, in a church, you, you're, you're, in a sense, you're, 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 we're family members in a church. We're also leaders in that church family. And we're also employees in a church if, if we're working for a church. Those are, that's, that's, those are three roles. Uh, and so it, it takes a lot of maturity to be able to function. I'm a member of this church. I'm a leader in this church. And I'm also uh, an employee of this church. 
and so the question is, which role is first? Uh, and the question for you, Michelle, is what's your role first with your, your supervisor? And I would say, first of all, your supervisor is clearly working through the same issues uh, from being close friends and now she's your boss. And I would say that your role, your first role for her right now is once she became your boss's, she is your supervisor. Uh, you're her employee. Uh, and she is making some progress uh, in kind of teasing this out because there's now a power differential between the two of you. She has the ability to fire you. Uh, she is the one giving you direction about goals and priorities and in, in, you know, enforcing the larger values of the church, et cetera. So I had a very close friend, um, Andrew, uh, for years, who became the head of the board of elders at our church. And that, that, meant, that meant he was my boss when I was the lead pastor. And so we talked about it immediately and said, Andrew, you realize this, we talked about our, our friendship in a sense as we can be friendly, but uh, we're not going out hanging out anymore, going out for dinner. You know, if we do, it's not the same way because he now is in a position before God to let to fire me, to evaluate me. I don't evaluate his performance. He's evaluating my performance. He was the head of the board of elders. I was the lead pastor. His job was to lead the board in an evaluation of me and say hard things to me. Um, and so we shifted our relationship. We remained friendly uh, and we're friends to this day because he's not in that role with me. Uh, but his first role with me was board chairperson for the sake of the larger whole and the, and the kingdom of God. So again, your need for that friendship uh, you know, you feel like it's difficult for you right now because, you know, she's not supporting you emotionally. And I would just say that's that's your work. I'm not saying it's not, I mean, you want to grieve it. It is a grief and a loss, but God's in that uh, for you. And uh, you're being paid to do a task. God's put her in authority over you and uh, you want to serve her. Uh, you're each on a journey. Uh, again, it takes a lot of differentiation to even have these conversations and to to make a change in the relationship question is she's changing working on changing the relationship and it sounds like she's struggling a bit with it but she's trying the question is can you change the relationship you may not want to change it uh, and that's fair it's not you're not a bad person it may be that because of the way you started out as really really very very close friends it may be that your relationship cannot make this shift into the workplace um you know and that's okay too it doesn't make you bad at all it just makes i just prefer not to do it um it's probable your your relationship may not be the same uh, unless you do work through this. But my vote for you would be uh, do some inner work on this. Um, this is emotionally loaded. It probably brings up feelings of betrayal. Who knows? Uh, but these are these are this is a good moment for you. Uh, and I think that you may. I think your your supervisor is doing a, a healthy thing, even as they're working through it. And you may need a third person. Uh, but I would check out the chapter in the Emotional Anthony Leader called Power and Wise Boundaries because this is about power. And your relationship with her is no longer equal. Uh, you're not doing evaluations of her, but she is now expected to do evaluations of you. Okay, enough said. Hope that helps a little bit. Uh, this next one here is uh, uh, by a, uh, a parachurch. Uh, I'm going to call him uh, Jay. And it's a campus ministry parachurch organization. And this person is the supervisor of a team of 10 paid staff. And been doing this for 10 years. And his current team has been leading for four years. So 
Uh, but this one person in particular of the 10 uh, is very, very difficult to supervise. And while they can be good at certain aspects of their job, they're not good at some other aspects of their job, but very, uh, whenever, you know, you're brought up, uh, the supervisee uh, blames the system, coworkers, the complexity of the job, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, conversations get heated uh, and the person's clearly not, very self-aware at all and you know she's not able to, the supervisee is not able to manage their weaknesses uh and can't understand why they're not being promoted etc so the question that uh jay the supervisor is now calling him jay uh is i wonder if i'm a good supervisor for this person for this woman i often get into we often get into heated conversations about during supervision uh, as I, uh, you know, as I swat down theories about why everything wrong is not somebody else's fault and they get into heated debates, et cetera, et cetera. And ends by saying, I find supervising her grinding to my soul and emotionally labor intensive help. Well, Jay, uh, uh, it's grinding. Uh, just reading your case study was exhausting because I've been there. It is exhausting and grinding and emotionally labor intensive. So uh, there's some serious red flags here. Uh, you mentioned the person feels persecuted by the team, uh, blaming. Uh, that's deep. That's deep stuff. You know, I, I don't know what season of life they're in, how they got there, uh, but their level of self awareness, as you've described, is very, very low, and yet they're in a significant leadership position. Uh, and when you're in leadership, you need more humility and teachability, not less. So I don't know if this can end well. It's going to be difficult. Uh, I, I've not seen too many of them end well in my own history. Uh, I think you need to bring some other people into this process with yourself for sure. Uh, their trust in you uh, is obviously not there, but it, they may not trust anyone in authority that says painful things to them. Uh, and I know that I, I've been with people like that. And uh, the sad, the sad thing is, they, it doesn't mean they're not effective with people, or at least somewhat effective with the team under them to an extent. I mean, it would be wonderful if, if you could do a three hundred and sixty with them, uh, or bring in a you know a highly mature team development person. Uh, I've done that at times. Uh, do some kind of staff development uh, thing. You know, do you have a do you, do you have a supervisor you could bring into this? But I would say to you, trust in yourself, uh, Jay. You're the person God put in leadership. Uh, talk to your supervisor. I doubt you're a narcissist or crazy by any means. You have a right to determine the values of your team. And it sounds like teachability, openness, uh, humility are one of those values. Now, she may be, th this person may be a gift to you uh, because they're forcing you to articulate your values uh, really clearly and die for them. I, I want, I did, when I made a big transition in my supervision of people, I got, I, I, call, I brought our whole staff to a rule of life. Uh, and basically, here are some of my values and how we're going to operate. I kind of got them to get ownership of it. But basically, if they didn't operate from those values, I did let them go. But that was my work of differentiation, my family of origin stuff, my shadow I had to deal with. It may be this person is not a good fit. Uh, and that's not a bad thing, even if they are raising support and you're a parachurch. But what does it mean to love them honestly? What does it mean to love them well? Uh, it's being honest. It's not being afraid of conflict. Who wants conflict? None of us do. Uh, but again, I, uh, this supervision stuff is not for sissies uh, by any any means. All right, let me stop here. Boy, whew. let me invite you to do this. Uh, um, uh, 
I don't know if you've ever done the emotionally healthy personal assessment. Uh, am, I, am I an emotional baby, child, adolescent, or adult? But clearly we're talking about if a person's going to be in leadership and you're supervising them, you need them to have some level of emotional maturity. Uh, I would just encourage you uh, to check out that free assessment on our website at emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. I would look at that assessment. It's assessment. It's based on the seven uh, marks of emotionally healthy discipleship of the book that recently came out. Uh, it's a very good, easy 15, 20-minute assessment. And I would look at it and look at your staff because you may have some real work to do to mature your staff. Well, I'm sorry I didn't get to the seventh uh, case study here, uh, which had to do with basically people who are, some who are not, again, same principle, some staff who are not, who are always working seven days a week, other staff who are always concerned about their inner life, but they're not actually doing their jobs. And I would say the same principle is going to apply to you, uh, Peter. It's just the person's name who sent me the case study is, you're the leader. Uh, you, I know you don't want a conflict. Who does? But you need to uh, set the values uh, and be really clear uh, and to a point where you're saying, no, this is how we're going to operate as a staff team because we're reproducing that culture in everybody who follows us. All right. Thank you, everybody. It's been so good to be with you. Again, go check out emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature, that assessment. It's been great to be with you. It's been really fun to do case studies. We could easily take another half hour, but look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great day.